This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 91, April 4th, 2010. Hugo will find him. He will track him down and bring him back. Unless Alfred's covered in bacon grease, I'm not sure Hurley can track anything. Hey, don't talk about bacon. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You were tuned into the transmission. As seen in the New York Times. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And first of all, apologies for my strange voice. I'm currently fighting off the sickness. Of course, I'd like to also wish you all a happy Easter, at least if you observe such things. And I do want to wish you, Jen, a happy 16-year anniversary oh, this week. Thank uh, Yes, April Fool's for us, but so far it hasn't been uh, revealed to be a big joke. So that's a good thing. Up next, we'll recap the 10th episode of Season 6. It's called The Package, and we'll do it in under 8 minutes. Then we'll share our thoughts and theories on this episode. We'll get to your feedback, and you all, everybody. We'll share the latest great track from the Others Lost Band. And finally, we'll wrap things up with a very brief forward cabin. Very brief. Few filming reports as we're getting near the very end. So are you ready, Jen? Let's get lost. So the package, episode 610, let's start off the island. At the airport, Jin is released, but only with the watch and the empty suitcase, not the money. Jin says he missed the meeting at the restaurant to deliver it, and when Sun asks what the money was for, he says he doesn't ask her father any questions. They check in at their hotel, and Jin is adamant that they have to have separate rooms because they're not married. Jin goes to Sun's room to say he's going to at least deliver the watch, but she says no one's going to be there. She then unbuttons the top button on her blouse and asks if he's going to tell her to button it like he did on the plane. He said people were watching them, but she says no one's watching them. She unbuttons all her buttons and they kiss. The next morning, Sun tells Jin they should run away together. She says she has a secret bank account. He realizes that this was her plan all along and says that it's forbidden. She asks if he wants to be with her and he says he loves her. She says there's something he needs to know. Just as no. there's a knock on the door, Jin hides and Sun goes to answer it. It's Kimi who says mm. she has something for him. She gives him the watch and he asks about the money. Omar arrives and says Jin's not in his room. Kimi notices the two wine glasses and tells Omar to look in the bathroom. Sure enough, they find Jin. They try to talk, but Kimi can't understand Korean. Kimi tells Omar to go get Mikhail to translate. With Mikhail's help, they explain that the money was taken at customs, but that they can give him money money from another account. Kimi tells Mikhail to take Sun to the bank while he takes Jin to the restaurant. At the bank, however, Sun learns that her secret account was cleared out and closed by her father. At the restaurant, Kimi ties Jin up in the freezer and tells Omar to go get the Arab guy. Although Jin says he doesn't understand him, Kimi explains that the money was his fee for killing him because he broke the cardinal rule and got involved with Mr. Pake's daughter. He says that he's sorry, but some people just aren't meant to be together. 
Later, Jin hears a struggle and gunshots outside in the kitchen and starts to kick the door. Saeed opens the freezer and asks who he is. Jin says something in Korean and Sa Saeed says he doesn't care. He almost leaves Jin as he is, but ends up giving him a razor to cut himself free. He says, good luck. Mikhail returns with Sun and finds everyone shot by Saeed. Jin gets Mikhail at gunpoint and tells him to drop his weapon. They struggle, a gun goes off, and when Mikhail lunges for a knife, Jin shoots and hits Mikhail in the eye. As the dust clears, though, we learn that Sun is shot and bleeding as well. As Jin carries her out, she says she's pregnant. Now on the island, Unlock goes to Jin to talk about the names Sawyer saw on the cave wall. Whether Quan means Sun or Jin, Unlock says the only way they can leave the island is if all the remaining names go together. Jin says that Sun isn't with them and Unlock says he's working on it, then tells Saeed to keep an eye on the camp while he's gone. Saeed says he can't feel anything. Unlock says that it's probably for the best considering what's coming. When Unlock leaves, Jin is about to go search for his wife, telling Sire he won't follow Unlock. Sire says he's not following him either and that he has a deal with Widmore. But suddenly everyone is hit by tranquilizer darts and Widmore's team grabs Jin. Jin wakes up in room 23. When he tries to leave, Zoe tasers him, but is really sorry about it. <laughs> she asks him about the grid maps that Dharma used to identify pockets of magnetism since they seem to have been signed by him. He says that if he, she wants answers, he wants to talk to her boss. She says he wants to talk to him, too. Meanwhile, at the beach camp, Ilana tells everyone they're going to wait for Richard to come back. Sun gets frustrated and storms off. Jack follows her and finds her pulling weeds in her old garden. Sun says she doesn't care that they're candidates and tells Jack she doesn't want to hear about their destiny. She tells him to just leave her alone, so he leaves. Later, Unlock shows up and he tells Sun that he can reunite her with Jin. She doesn't believe him and runs away. Runaway. Unfortunately, she knocks herself out on a low tree branch. Ben finds her unconscious, but when she comes to, she can only speak Korean. He brings her back to the camp and Jack says she's probably suffering from aphasia. Albert and Hurley do finally return, and Albert says that if Unlock is going to try to escape on the plane on Hydra Island, they're going to destroy it. Sun freaks out in Korean and storms off yet again. Meanwhile, Unlock gets back to his camp and finds Jin missing. He enlists Saeed to take an outrigger to Hydra Island to get him back. Claire asks if her name was on the cave wall. Unlock says no, but that he still needs her. He adds that Kate's not a candidate anymore, but that he needs her too to get the three more people he needs to get off the island. Claire says Aaron won't even recognize her. Unlock says that once he gets what he needs from Kate, Whatever happens, happens. As he and Saeed leave to try and get Jin back, Sawyer asks Unlock why he doesn't just become the smoke monster and fly over the water. Unlock says that if he could, he wouldn't still be on the island. And when Unlock arrives on Hydra Island, he finds a sonic fence erected along the beach and Widmore standing on the other side. Unlock says Widmore took one of his people, but Widmore says he doesn't know what he's talking about. Unlock says a wise man once said that war was coming to this island. I think it just got here. Widmore then goes back and scolds Zoe for taking Jin early, but she explains that he was about to leave the camp. He tells her to bring the package to the infirmary, then meets with Jin. He shows him photos of his daughter, Ji Yun, and says that he knows what it's like to be kept apart from loved ones. But Widmore says that their reunification would be short-lived if Unlock got off the island. Everyone they know and love, he said, would cease to be. Widmore says he's going to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
Jin asks how, and Whitmore says it was time he sees the package. And it's not a what, it's a who. Da, da, da. Back on the main island, Jack once again goes to Sun, and this time he gives her a notepad so she can write answers in English even when she can't speak. She writes that Unlock told her that he had Jin, but that she didn't go with him because she didn't trust him. She says she does trust Jack, however. Jack tells her to come with them, and he'll help her find Jin and get them both on the plane and far away from the island. He says it's a promise, and she takes his hand. Meanwhile, at Locke's camp, Sawyer tells Kate that he thinks things are are almost over and that Widmore probably blew Unlock out of the water. If not, though, they're screwed. Sure enough, Unlock returns. Oh. Sawyer asks if he lost Saeed. Unlock reminds Sawyer about seeing something being guarded on the submarine and says that he doesn't like secrets. Finally, we see Saeed surface in the water near the submarine, just as Zoe and Seamus are bringing someone up onto the pier. They're arguing about how much sedative was given for the journey, and Zoe says probably too much as she's not a doctor. They stumble and the man falls at the edge of the pier. Saeed looks up and is face to face with Desmond and, and Thud. Thud. And that is the 10th episode of season six of Lost the Package in under eight minutes. We're going to take a quick break to catch our breath. And when we come back, we'll examine the episode in greater detail. We can't wait to share our thoughts on the package and get mm -hmm. to your feedback in you all, everybody. But first, we want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. Audible has more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and features audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of the transmission, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Our featured audiobook of the week is a chosen by Kaim Potok. It turned up in the episode Dr. Linus, along with some girly magazines. Mm -hmm. To explain it all, Brendan in Wisconsin wrote on our blog, he wrote, it's the story of the friendship of two Jewish boys. In light of the episode, I think it was referring to Ben. One of the boys in the story is a genius son of a rabbi. The father expects his son to take over for him eventually, but the son doesn't want to, so the father uses his son's friend. He later reveals that he did so because he saw that his son's intelligence was much greater for than his compassion for others. To teach his son about pain and want, he shut him out emotionally. I felt this story paralleled Ben's desire for power versus his compassion for Alex, as well as Jacob being somewhat of a father figure to him, along with his relationship with his own father. And thanks for that, Brendan. I'm pretty sure I tried to pretend to read this book in high school. I might have to return to it again. <laughs> now, the audiobook is narrated by Jonathan Davis, and it's over 10 hours long, and you can get it or any other audiobook of your choice free with this offer. All you gotta do is go to Audible podcast.com slash transmission that's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission and we'd like to thank audible.com for supporting our show absolutely so here we are the package episode 10 season 6 it was a really tough act to follow last week the Richard episode Abbey Turno how did this one turn out the thing about Sun and Jin episodes for me is they teeter on the edge of soap opera-ish and melodrama and I felt like Maybe there were a couple of moments where it could have gone over, but Absolutely. mostly 
I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot as well. I mean, on the basis of pure mileage, I mean, wheels on the ground, forward momentum, we got some on the island, something that we were pretty much deprived of last week, despite the fantastic yeah. story. So that was good. I think that there were some really, really great character moments, especially off the island. I do hear you on some of the soap opera moments, and I think we might get to those in a bit. But yeah, let's definitely start in the flash sideways. I, I enjoyed it a great deal, in particular because at first I was annoyed. I was starting to roll my eyes about how hard they were trying trying to push at us that Sun and Jin were not married, right down to, you know, Jin kind of freaking out, pointing at his finger and going, not married. I was like, okay, we get it. We get it. Yeah. Well, I think that's really addressing some kind of cultural issue. And, you know, I when we saw him in the season premiere and he, you know, he was telling her to button up, I wasn't really sure where they were going with Jin. I mean, was he back to being jerky Jin? That's what I thought it was. Yeah, but now you see that exchange in a completely different light. Right, it was he's, he's completely insecure about it. He's so so nervous about being being caught with and his hand in the cookie so, jar. And rightfully so, it turns out. Yes, absolutely, that uh, he's really, really nervous about that. So I thought that that was a great twist, that it turns out, yes, they're not married, but good golly, they are still in love. Yeah. And it's a, it's a forbidden relationship, uh, but it's the two of them. So in some some respects, remember now, Sun had a forbidden relationship in the original backstory with uh, having an affair with her English um, tutor. Here Jamie, she is yeah. having a, a illicit relationship, but it's with Jin. So I guess in that case, it's okay. So it was a great reveal, and the way it was revealed to me is probably one of my favorite romance or seduction scenes. I'm not really into the shipper and love stuff, but that was great. That was hot. With the buttons? Yeah. Not just because it was done well, but because of how iconic those buttons were since the very first pilot of the entire show. Uh-huh. The whole argument about the buttons and, you know, Sun wanting to break out and be free for the, the original Sun, the original Island Sun. And here it's how she basically gets him to just chill out a little bit and kind of enjoy himself. Well, I thought Yoon Kim actually acted that scene really well because she gets this little sparkle in her eye and she looks so mischievous and and you know I just I, I loved the way they interacted in that scene I, I agree with you specifically when she gets that first button and I'm like uh-huh. wait a minute like because she seems so serious about it it seems like maybe she's just being a being mean to Jin you know like he's she's just trying to freak him out again uh-huh. what's going on here and then it's by that second button you're like oh my so yes definitely a, a, a great scene there and of course also in this reality and the original reality the plan was to run away to get away from his her overbearing father and she had a secret uh, account and she wanted to get that done so that's sort of kind of a re- repeat from the first but time it around. doesn't seem to be in the plan that she was to learn english no you know i would think if they were gonna run away and start over she would have learned english well i think if she went looking for an english instructor then it might be a <laughs> it might be yeah. a different story that we're more familiar with of course also in the flash sideways as we're becoming quite accustomed to some familiar faces popping up. Now, a couple we already saw in the Saeed story, and in fact, that makes this flash sideways also a flashback because it sort of <laughs> connects there. But in any case, we had Kimi and Omar, right. but we also had Mikhail, Mikhail absolutely, with both eyeballs in this case. And he's very smart. What do they say? He speaks nine languages? Yeah, a much more sophisticated kind of gangster here, but still kind of a gangster. I mean, surely without the eye patch, he's perhaps less sinister looking, but I still imbue him with this great deal of sinister energy and power. I mean, I still love the showdown with him, the conversation between him and Saeed and the flame. I think that was back in season three. Right. So here he is again, still, I think, with a lot of depth to his character, you know, not cartoony in any way, still menacing. But yes, very good to see him again. Speaking of menacing, Kimi scares the crap out of me. Oh, really? 
he's he's like Anton Sugar and Christopher Walken's character in True Romance, like put together. He's just so he's just completely crazy. Well, you know, I think he's walking a fine line. We we talked about the Christopher Walken thing before. Like it's almost too, I think, contrived, um, borderline cartoonish. Where you you're just going back to the egg eating scene from before, uh-huh. and and this episode he had that line about. Thanks for the watch, but you know where's the money? You know, I, I thought that you, he could, was pushing the envelope there, but for the most part, it's just a great, quirky, creepy, quirky character that that really works. The whole thing about I feel like I'm in a Godzilla movie. Oh, I thought that that was you know a very Kimi line, and 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 the conversation with Jin in the the freezer where he doesn't understand what Kimi is saying, but Kimi is basically. I think having a moment of compassion or at least understanding for Jin's predicament. He basically uh-huh. says, you just couldn't keep your hand off the boss's daughter, but <laughs> you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. But I felt like uh, he was about to add, and my heart wants to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> so he really was that creepy to you. I mean, I just, I like that he, he could be just a one dimensional thug or even a two dimensional thug, but he's all over the place and that it makes it interesting. There's more nuance than I would have expected them to, to give him for what could just be a flash sideways token cameo. But I guess. you know what I loved? He's about to kill Jin, but he gets mad at Omar for hitting his head. Yes, I like <laughs> that. You know, Omar just lacks attention to detail. Um, so some great moments there. Uh, why do you think, though, if Jin didn't understand what he was saying, did Jin say thank you after that whole speech? No, that's that's puzzling. I, I couldn't figure that out either. See, that's I think maybe why I was reading in Compassion, where you were reading Cannibalism into Kimi's line, because I thought that Jin was sort of picking up some sort of expression of mutual understanding there. Like there might even be something more to Kimi's story that, you know, maybe he's gotten involved with people he shouldn't have in his past or or something like that. But in Mm -hmm. any case, so that's sort of how I read the thank you. But well, so we don't think that either Sun or Jin could understand English in the Flash Sideways, or at least nobody has copped to it yet. Right. Do you think that, but I'm expecting him. Do you think that's going to happen? Look at the way that certain scenes have played out over and over again again in slightly different ways or the way certain themes come up over and over again you know the revelation that Sun could understand English was such a big deal it was such a pivotal part of season one that I feel like it should play a role at least a little bit in the flash sideways yeah. I so I agree I think that somebody's going to cop to understanding English but I'm not sure it's going to be you know Sun I think it would be more interesting if it was Jin it would be more ironic if it was Jin except that Jin's been given the most opportunities to get out of trouble by speaking English at, at customs true. and having a gun in his face and all of these things and he still says no English so I don't know maybe we're just completely wrong on that point now uh, Kimi does mention when he says to go get Mikhail is that Mikhail is Danny's friend mm-hmm. is that just a, a red herring or who's Danny at first I thought they were referring to Faraday but then I thought why would Faraday be hanging around these guys and then I remembered Pickett remember the guy back in season three the other with the gun and the broken nose right right I, yeah. and he would be probably much more likely to be in league with our friends here. Kimi Actually, and Omar. I can see that very easily. Yeah, and perhaps he might also have a bad encounter with Saeed. That'd be kind of nice to see that sort of play that out would be in great. a different way. But uh, yeah, my first thought was Faraday as well because I couldn't remember how many Daniels or Dannys that we knew. There but, have been a bunch, but yeah. I think he's the leading contender. Absolutely, absolutely. So we learned that the money that Jin was so concerned about and trying to deliver with great, you know, diligence was actually for his own hit. That's 
cold. Wow, Mr. Pike is a serious gangster there. <laughs> what I want to know is why would you introduce so many variables, including trying to pass cash through customs, for crying out loud, to get this guy bumped off in California, where you, in Korea, probably have a vast network of underlings who have a number of ways to come up with credible reasons for Jin to just accidentally, you know, end up dead. Well, one of two things. I mean, maybe Mr. Pike just doesn't want the blood that close to his hands or Kimi and Mr. Pike had some kind of business arrangement. You know, Kimi needed money and um, Mr. Pike said, well, I'll give you some money, but while you're at it, maybe you can do this thing for me. Well, I got the sense that Kimi did killings sort of as his business. Maybe that's just sort of where he outsources all of this stuff to is in maybe. California. Maybe two birds, one stone, something else. But okay, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, also in the flash sideways, another great moment is when Mikhail returns and sees everyone dead in the kitchen and correctly surmises that Jin wasn't the one that pulled the trigger in those cases. Yeah. So he says, well, clearly you haven't got what it takes to pull the trigger on me. But it turns out Jin does, and he shoots him in, in the, the eye. eye. Wow, that's great. That's great. I mean, <laughs> we don't know how Mikhail lost his eye on the island, mm -hmm. but to to have this the situation where Jin shoots him in the eye in this timeline, I think I just love that. It's sort of a way of giving you the answer, even though it's not the answer. Yeah. It's kind of a satisfying tale you know uh, that 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 I, I don't know i just I, I didn't think it was a great moment i don't know if poetic is the right word beautiful isn't the right word but <laughs> to, to, but gruesome gruesomely clever perhaps I'll, I'll give you that now it did raise the question for me in this timeline though the nature of Jin's employment with mr pike now as we knew from his original world he was uh, not a hitman but he was definitely a, a thug he was delivering messages you know uh -huh, air, quotes, air quotes basically beating down people he couldn't kill somebody even though that was his mission right and and here we see in the flash sideways, he's also delivering messages, perhaps, and he's, you know, perhaps capable of killing because he did pull the trigger on Mikhail. It wasn't self-defense, but he is capable of killing. So is Jin in this timeline also still a bad thug who beats people or potentially kills people for Mr. Pike? If that's the case, I don't really hold out much hope for Sun and Jin's relationship because... Mm. Jin's job caused a lot of the stress in their relationship. It caused a lot of the demons that haunted Sun and Jin. So if that is indeed the case, then I can't really see their relationship truly working it out. It definitely be kind of a darker story, a more tragic story. But I, I like to compare him to Saeed. You know, Jin is, was very conflicted about what he did. You know, like he said, he refused to kill and he seemed to feel genuine remorse for the beatdowns that he did deliver. Whereas Saeed, I think deep down down in his soul is a killer. He was able to, you know, perform for Ben several hits, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that we know of. So, you know, I and he definitely seems to make that decision about himself, in, even in his flash sideways. So actually, that flash sideways is this flash sideways. I thought it was interesting that Saeed does come to see Jin, and he almost doesn't rescue him. And then even when he does help Jin, he doesn't really help Jin. He basically just gives yeah, him a knife. Yeah, he hands him a box cutter. He says, yeah. good luck. So, Which, I mean, I don't know. That seemed kind of, I guess out of character. I was expecting hmm. Saeed to have a little bit more compassion for Jin, perhaps. You know, he could see that, that you know, Jin was tied up in there. So 
I would think that it went through Saeed's mind that maybe Jin is not such a bad guy and at least help him out a little. Well, I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Or I, yeah. I, I don't know, though. I thought that it was you know a very deliberate move that he's not helping really, that uh, they're trying to be very ambivalent about the fate of Saeed's character. He makes yeah. a very dark decision in his Flash Sideways to become a killer in favor of you know helping his brother or his brother-in-law and Nadia. So you know I'm not sure how things are going to turn out for him, but I, I did th- think it was interesting that he basically just said, you know, good luck. You're on your own. I think that says quite a bit. And of course, the final reveal in the flash sideways, Sun is pregnant. You know, the message that she was going to try to give him in the hotel room, that's actually, you know, what's what's her deal. And You know, that reminded me of uh, the scene in the premiere where Juliet says to Sawyer, I have something to tell you because... Right, right. A lot of us speculated that that's what she was going to tell Sawyer. Right. Well, it definitely figures that she's pregnant in this timeline. At least when she said it, I was like, well, of course she's pregnant. Yeah. Although, you know, at least in this world, it's not, a, you know, it's not a miracle. It's not a big debate, hopefully, over the paternity mm-hmm. of the child. It should be Jin's. And I think it kind of says something that uh, in this flash sideways, the fact that there is a pregnancy that the son and Jin may have ji a daughter, you know, that that's fated to happen. I mean, that might be significant in oh, some way yeah, as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. Anything else? about the flash sideways stand out to you? Sun had the mirror moment. Mm, that's right, in the hotel room. Right. So what does that mean? Well, there was confusion as to whether it's, um, whether Quan means Sun or Jin in the list of candidates, but we see Sun seeing herself in, in the in the reflection, which is, you know, what we see of, of Jack, Jack and Saeed, the rest Kate of the candidates. Else. That's true. So I think that might be a pretty good hint there. Good catch. Let's move on to the island then, where, again, we had some forward momentum and some reveals, or at least a greater understanding of what uh, needs to happen or what we don't want to have happen as far as the greater game plan, specifically Unlock saying that he needs three more people to be able to get Mm -hmm. off the island. Now, Obviously, one of those three is Jin because he had just lost Jin. But right. that doesn't mean he needs everybody, though. So who's left? We've got uh, Hurley and we've got Jack and uh, we've got Sun or Jin, one of the two. And now I think we're saying that it's Sun. That's what I think. But uh, so he doesn't need everybody. He just needs, I guess, two out of those three, Hurley, Jack or Sun slash Jin. Yeah. I mean, because he's got uh, Sawyer, who's a canon. He's got uh, Saeed. Who's a candidate? Is Sa- I mean, Saeed's not Saeed, though, but I guess he's still a candidate. I don't know. I would think that in his current state, they would have to write him off. Well, I was remembering, of course, that when Unlock first takes Sawyer to the cave, he crosses himself off the list. He right. crosses Locke off the list because he's no longer himself. But Unlock is very well aware of Saeed's current condition. He even says, you know, it's good that you can't feel. It'll prepare you for what's to come, which is not a good sign. But in any case, but despite that, he still seems to treat Saeed as a candidate. So I'm going to presume yeah. that he still counts. Now, the other thing that he does do is he discounts now Kate mm-hmm. as a candidate. He says she is no longer a candidate. Do you have? I mean, when did she not be a I, candidate? I don't know. It could have been any number of things. It could have been leaving Aaron. It could have been... I don't know. I think your guess is as good as mine. I mean, she was one of the people told by Mikhail early on that the reason why she's not on the list is because she's flawed, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. But now, you know, because of where these lists come from and what they might actually indicate, we're not necessarily sure if they're lists of candidates or just lists of people for whatever purposes at that given time. I I do remember that Kate's name, Austin, was on the the lighthouse, but she was number 51. And that was a mystery to people because every one of the other candidates is assigned to one of the numbers we all know Love, right. 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, but Kate is 51. To many people, I think that makes Kate the you know the unknown factor that makes Kate the spoiler in Locke's plan that perhaps the she variable. is yes well perhaps she is a candidate 
but is you know, but lock or unlock is incorrectly counting her out as being important. So that's that's mm. one way to think about it. But he does say that he still needs Kate to help him get the people he does need on that plane. And gee, I don't know who do you suppose Kate would be able to compel somebody to do something? At least as far as unlock is concerned, Hurley. She'd be able to sweet talk Hurley onto the plane. Not really. <laughs> Probably Jack or actually Sawyer as well. I mean, he does have Sawyer in his camp, mm-hmm. but we don't know at this point how loyal Sawyer is. But I think that, you know, Unlock is not stupid to think that maybe Kate would be able to get Sawyer and Jack to do something. I don't know. I think he's maybe overestimating Kate's influence on (laughs) Jack. I mean, they broke up and they don't seem to be particularly close now. That's true. That's true. So I don't know. But I mean, how she can be useful has has yet to be seen. Now, of course, that whole conversation leads to the line, you know, after I get what I need out of Kate, whatever happens 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 and all of a sudden it looks like claire's being set up once again to try to kill kate lock unlock rather you know he um he plants these little tiny seeds of doubt in in claire's mind it seems just when claire is okay with with what's going on and has accepted that kate was taking care of aaron he comes back and he needles her a little bit more and it seems like we're winding up for some kind of confrontation between kate and claire and i really don't know how that would turn out well and to me it's because i i I love it in a sense because we thought that we were being set up for that confrontation then it gets diffused with the weird awkward hug and all of that stuff and now it comes back again and it definitely is a great window into unlock and again i think to the more darker sinister nature of his personality there are a lot of people that still have a great deal of compassion for him as a prisoner as a misunderstood monster but i think when he does things like that they're definitely tipping their hand as to you know he's definitely not a all outright good guy either we also seem to learn a very specific limitation of the smoke monster, one that certainly makes sense, which is that he can't fly his ass over the water, you know, just <laughs> as the smoke monster, that uh, that there's some sort of limitation there. He has to be in his unlocked form and he needs to take an outrigger. So right. I, mean, I thought that was kind of an interesting reveal or at least a confirmation of that. So we have sonic fences can stop the smoke monster. Mm-hmm. We have open water can stop the smoke monster. And ash. Uh, yes. And we also have ash that can stop the smoke monster. This is a smoke monster with a lot of kryptonite out there, especially when you're on an island. It seems he's definitely a prisoner in the sense that a lot of things can stop him. Now, the line about the water reminded us and some of our listeners about the whole scene where Ben summons the smoke monster by letting water out of a drain down below a house. Oh, that's right. we weren't sure exactly what he was doing. It's clear now that by removing the drain, he was, I guess, opening the door or, you know, removing some sort of blockade that was containing the smoke monster up until that point. And, you know, the island is sunken now. True. Actually, yes. So, you know what? If you do want to stop the smoke monster itself and it can't go over water, all you do is remove the island from under him and, I don't know, I guess you won. I mean, does the island being underwater in that case sound like a victory for Jacob and or Whitmore then? I guess that's what the plan is. I mean, certainly if water is kryptonite to the smoke monster, I guess if the wa- <laughs> if the island is that's underwater... That's about the worst case scenario for the guy. Yeah. That's interesting. That That's a good point there. Now, there were some weird moments in this episode. I mean, you said soap opera, and I, that's got to be the weird clonk on the head that she gets, that Sun gets running through the jungle, and then comes to completely unable to speak English. I mean, what did you think about that whole scenario? It smelled like a bad soap opera plot line, mm-hmm. but... You know, the writers are more clever than that. And I think there's going to be some kind of reveal of something. I don't know yet. It just seems like something that would 
be that would be leading up to a greater revelation. Well, I certainly hope you're right, and I think a lot of people on the blog picked up that you know she suddenly can only speak Korean, just like she's speaking in the Flash sideways. So maybe that clonk was sort of a brief connection between the two worlds that we've yeah. been tracking. That's one way to think about it. I also thought it was key that first, you know, she cut her hand while she's gardening, and this whole thing about people getting injured, you know, Sawyer stepping on a dart, uh, Jin's leg is hurt by the bear trap that Claire used, and now right. you know Sun injured her hand before she runs off, I think that we're either we're looking at a vector of infection or at least some key you know, reason for that injury and her getting bonked on the head and not being able to speak English. I think it all kind of ties together. Do you think that you know Unlock did anything to her at all after she bonked her head? Because he was chasing her through the jungle, but then after she bonks her head, she comes to and he's gone. Did he just walk off because she, he wouldn't go with, she wouldn't go with him? I don't see him giving up that easily. What he could have done to her... I don't really know. And maybe that's where the loss of English comes from, too. I mean, maybe the smoke monster has some ability. You know, he does. We do know that in his smoke monster form, he could scan people, find their weaknesses. So there, there could be something to that as well. But uh, uh, definitely not my favorite moment of the episode. I think perhaps because it is even remarked upon by Miles as being ridiculous. And I think we have a call on that in the Lost Line later. Another scene that I kind of initially had trouble with was the tomato scene where Jack brings Sun the tomato and he says, you know, nobody told this tomato that it was supposed to be dead. And I really just, you know, it was like, just <laughs> shut up, Jack, at that okay. time. And But I realized that I've heard theories that the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden was not an apple, but a tomato. Okay. Okay, I can see that. I guess a biblical reference. We've certainly been picking up on yeah. a lot of that on the show. I just sort of picked up on the line, supposed to die, because, of course, that's what Charlie says about himself in mm -hmm. the flash sideways on the airplane. I was supposed to die. Obviously, I think the overall question about who's supposed to die is key, so there's some significance there. And I just liked it because it was a slow conversation. It was an intimate moment. It was a character moment, something that could have been rushed or left out entirely, probably for people in a hurry. But, you know, the writers are going to give us what they think needs to, to, to have happen. And the whole thing with the writing messages, I thought was was kind of a nice, twi nice it, twist. And it reminded me of the scene where in season three, where Juliet um, first goes to Jack about overthrowing Ben and, and she writes on the cue cards what he's supposed ah, to do. That's true. That's true. Although I, I'm hoping in this scene that, you know, Jin, her son, isn't saying something different than what her card says. But yeah, you know, writing messages, certainly key, you know, not Penny's boat. We've we've seen some really iconic messages um, written out. This episode also importantly, I think, gives us a very big milepost, a very good line in the sand. Basically, the declaration of the war that we're waiting, we're expecting, we're looking forward to between Unlock and Widmore. Yep, you know, it's basically on. says it's here. The war is here. But that also kind of made me think of the specific line that um, he was quoting Widmore back with. You know, Widmore had said back when they met off the island with real Locke, he said, Because there's a war coming, John, and if you're not back on the island when that happens, the wrong side is going to win. Now, of course, in that case, uh, Widmore was talking to the real John mm -hmm. Locke, not this creepy black smoke Locke. So uh, it basically has to have things changed. I mean, he's, he, he did get Locke back on the island, but that actually facilitated a lot of these things that are happening. Was that just no, inadvertent on I his part? I think he meant Locke. I think he meant Locke in Locke. And, uh, you know, I think 
Ben really kind of caused something really huge to happen, the, the balance of power to shift when he killed Locke. Because it was now Locke's body that was returned to the island rather than the actual Locke. Right. You're right, because Whit- if Widmore is aware of this greater you know, plan and the need for candidates, for example, maybe Widmore knew that Locke was a candidate and felt that Locke needed to be back on the island with the other candidates. But right. unfortunately, because of Ben, he delivered the body of a candidate, which turned out to be a tool for the man in black. Very interesting how that kind of all turned out. I hope that you know that's sort of how we interpret that that line of dialogue. A line of dialogue that kind of confused me, though, was Widmore's description of the dire consequences if the smoke monster gets off the island. And the way he puts it is, everyone we know and love will cease to be. Yeah. And that just seemed like a really strange choice of words when just recently, for example, Hurley described it as, we're all going to hell. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's going to be bad for everybody, basically. All of a sudden, cease to be sounds almost clinical. I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like Armageddon and the end of the world. They cease to be. Yeah, well, maybe we're looking at the back to the future model of time travel. So that again, that what, when he says cease to be, it's whatever led to our existence changes and so we vanish just like in back to the future. That that specific phrase makes me think of that. Yeah, I mean, again, I just thought it was an interesting choice of words and I, I'm not sure what it means. I certainly hope that it's something biblical, something global, something cataclysmic, fire and brimstone, really the end of the world and not, you know, slowly d- dissolving from the enchantment under the sea picture on the wall or you know, <laughs> something like that. I, I think that'd be kind of unsatisfying. It would be unsatisfying to me, at least. I am expecting some kind of huge showdown just because of all the buildup we've had right, over I the think, last six years. So cease to be better just be his you know really polite way of just putting things he just he won't say we're all going to go to hell like Hurley <laughs> did now that scene of course was 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 one of the best in the episode in terms of character moments because it was when Jin sees pictures of his daughter Ji Yun for the very first time. That was very powerful. Very beautiful scene, moving scene. You know, Daniel Day Kim sold it. I he mean, did. he's he's a proud daddy. I mean, I, I have a secret feeling that maybe they put pictures of his own kid, you know, on the prop <laughs> or something. It was that good. It was it was really moving. It got dusty in the living room, as they say. Now, people who were really worried, you know, last week with all of the God and the devil talk and all of the mysticism and mysteries on this island and they were really concerned what happened to the Dharma initiative what happened to all the scientific experiments what happened to everything that we were watching back then is that all irrelevant well this episode brought that hope back again because they're referring to what sounds like at least pseudoscience once again on the show Zoe is a geophysicist and she's very interested in the pockets of electromagnetism right and I think that that's starting to become important and that's also I think going to play into how the smoke monster works and you were again we're learning about its in abilities and its powers and limitations so I, I i did like sort of the return of science on the show and even just the reference to dharma initiative maps i think was reassuring to a lot of people so now though that we're hearing widmore say basically the same thing that uh, hurley is saying that isabella said that if this man mm-hmm. gets off the island it'll be bad for everybody does that mean that widmore is officially on jacob's side that their objectives are basically the same thing i don't know widmore seems to me, still, like, he's more out to exploit the island, but he knows that aligning himself with Jacob is the easiest way to meet whatever ends he needs met. Well, the, the way that I thought about it is that maybe if the smoke monster does leave the island, that the island loses those characteristics that Whitmore's interested in. I mean, he brings oh, yeah. a geophysicist. They're interested in pockets of energy, but maybe you've got a pocket of energy trying to, to leave the island, and that would be a bad thing. I, I, I also don't think that I can say that Whitmore is on Team Jacob. And, and again, I mean, remember when we were discussing Richard's backstory, mm-hmm. and we said, wait a minute, if Richard was always an emissary or representative of 
of Jacob, does that mean Jacob wanted everything that Richard did or Richard was a part of? Because right. Richard was part of the purge, for example. That doesn't seem like a very Jacoby thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sort of kind of picking that apart. I, I get the very similar question about Widmore because Widmore was once the leader of the island, but as leader, he wanted to, say, kill a baby. He yeah. wanted to kill little baby Alex. Alex. Yeah. And, you know, he and the whole thing after he got off the island, after breaking the rules and he wanted to get back to the island, he was trying to kidnap Ben, an entire season with the freighter devoted mm-hmm. to try and get Ben. And again, whatever the motive of that conflict, it doesn't sound like a representation of Jacob's side. So well, it's, it's really complicated. Remember Bram, when he when he kidnapped Miles, he told Miles that working for Widmore would be joining the wrong team. Right, right, exactly. And Bram was with Ilana and and, and, right. and, and and Jacob's team. So Bram, a member of Jacob's team, told Miles not to work for Whitmore. So yeah, it's 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 very convoluted. I presumably they're gonna be able to explain that, but it's certainly again, it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. And yes, in this episode, the pre-thud reveal, we finally learn what the package is, what the great weapon against the man in black might be. And of course, Widmore telegraphs it by saying Mm -hmm. it's not a what, it's a who. And we learn that it's Desmond. Right. So, well, what do you think about that? And how is Desmond going to stop the man in black? I don't know. Um, First of all, Desmond looks horrible. He looks (laughs) much... sedated. He looks much worse than Juliet did when she came off the sub. True. Uh, We don't know what's gone down between the time that um, Ben shot at Desmond and, you know... um, Mrs. Hawking had that conversation with Penny in the hospital. Any number of things could have happened between then and now. And I don't I don't know. I don't know exactly how Desmond can stop the man in black. Well, I mean, all right. So is he the only person that can stab him with that, that dagger that no one's been able to stab him with? I can see maybe that might be it. Maybe him just being there is a problem for the man in black. Somehow he validates something. Maybe Desmond is the Job, the completely uncorruptible good person that disproves the man in black's theory. But I think if that were the case, the episode, the, sh- the whole show would be over pretty quickly. I, I, I can't you know, come up with the, a reasonable explanation for how Desmond is the thing that can stop the man in black. It's just everything that's been said about him certainly makes sense. He's special. The island's not done with him. The rules don't apply to him. So it's great that he is the package, that he's back on the show. I mean, after seeing his name in the credits all season, he's (laughs) finally actually in the show. But uh, your guess is as good as mine as to how that's all going to play out. I certainly can't wait to see. Anything else in this episode strike you or worthy of comment? just seem really unnecessarily cruel. Why? Well, I don't know. I really thought that he and Hurley had at least some kind of bond. You know, I think... The, the past three oh, years right, in the yeah. 70s really kind of changed them and maybe brought them closer. But that whole line about bacon seemed really just mean. I guess. Uh, I mean, you actually, you're right. It, it did strike me as mean. I did feel bad for Hurley very briefly, but it was immediately dispelled by Frank's line, which was, hey, don't talk about bacon. <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant because you think that he's going to speak up in, to, in defense of Hurley and instead he just doesn't want to think about bacon. He has great lines, yeah, Frank. So I, I just thought that was a great line. But yeah, you know, Hurley and, and Miles, I thought they were buds. That that was definitely very interesting. The scene that I thought was an interesting throwback was uh, Sawyer bringing Kate some imaginary hot cocoa. Okay, I'm kind of over the shipper stuff. Well, okay, I'm over the shipper stuff too. Sawyer, it just makes no sense how he's conducting himself now with Kate at this point. But yeah, I know. still, the fact that he 
he brought that you know cocoa that wasn't real. It's that's obviously a reference to uh, yeah the, Charlie and Claire's peanut butter. Exactly. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a neat and a nice touch there. Well, before we go, we always like to talk about locations on the show. Of course, the airport was again Pier Two down by the uh, restaurant row. They've mm-hmm. been using that quite a bit. The hotel where they checked in, Sun and Jin, was the Turtle Bay Resort. So yes, you two can stay there and unbutton <laughs> some buttons. The uh, kitchen once again was the Ko'olau Golf Club, a very uh, very busy set for them. And the bank where they basically weren't able to get the money was at the Bank of Hawaii in downtown Honolulu, actually the main branch oh, yeah. right off Fort Street. And you can look behind the tellers on the wall and there's this weird spiky clock. That's That's been an iconic clock for that historic bank. It really looks like a, a piece out of another time. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of neat to see it on the show. Well, those are our thoughts on the package, the 10th episode of season six, the final season of Lost. Up next, your thoughts and theories in You All, Everybody. Let's start things off with first-time callers Michael, Tim, and Melanie. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Michael from St. Clair Shores, uh, first and long. Uh, a couple points about this week's episode. Uh, I thought it was a great episode, but it paled in comparison to the Richard concentric or Richard-centered uh, uh, episode the week before. But uh, a couple key points on this one. I think uh, the whole lot getting off the island needing all the candidates, um, I think it's because uh, he needs to make sure that he can eliminate Jacob's successor. I think that would be the only reason. I don't think it's a puzzle that you need so many to get off or, you know, so many uh, players, uh, so many players in the equation to, uh, to fill in those spots. I think it's uh, the elimination uh, of whoever Jacob's successor is. So someone doesn't slip through the cracks. Um, I also think uh, the whole Desmond thing is interesting. I don't know why he's such a key player unless uh, we go back a couple years into the time travel, a couple seasons to the time travel thing in the Faraday episodes where he was able to, to use Desmond as a constant. Uh, perhaps Desmond's the constant in all the time travels, and that ties in all the other uh, flash forwards and sideways. I don't know. Um, I find it odd that he patched things up with Penny's father, Widmore, somehow. Um, they always seem to be adversaries, and now they seem to be working on the same team at least. Or maybe they're not. Maybe that's why he's got them locked in the uh, area of the, um, the sub. Anyway, I can't wait to hear what you guys say. Uh, again, love the podcast. You guys do a great job. Appreciate it. And uh, take care. Mahalo. Hi, Ryan and Jen. I'm uh, Tim calling from London in the UK. First time caller. Um, I just wanted to share some thoughts, uh, something I liked and didn't like about the last episode of Lost. Um, I thought I liked the episode overall, actually. I actually was pleasantly surprised. Um, so the thing I didn't like about the episode was um, uh, Miles' uh, comment, the bit when um, they're talking about uh, Sun's uh, condition, and he says, uh, oh, how are we supposed to believe that that's, uh, that, that that's the case, or, you know, about her language problem? Um, I just found that uh, really uh, ridiculous. I mean, I know they like to um, have a voice for the audience in, in some of the ridiculousness of the show, and... I don't know, I just felt like they were apologizing for the program or something like that. Or just Miles' comment just completely bought you out of the show. It was like, literally broke the fourth wall. I mean, he's if you're going to use something like someone forgetting how to speak English, don't apologize for it <laughs> in the show. In a, it just, ah, oh, that really annoyed me. Um, the other, the thing I did like um, was the return of the island music. 
Um, I call it Island Music, but I just, it seems to be, it reminds me a lot of Series 1. Um, you hear it in this episode, in the conversation between um, Sun and Jack on the beach at night uh, with the tomato, the tomato scene, um, if you will. But yeah, I mean, um, I think I think on the original soundtrack, it was a track was called um, Departing Sun. Um, so yeah, I, we haven't heard that track since Series 1, I think, or, or 2. But it was very nice to hear it again. Um, so thanks for the awesome podcast, and I look forward to hearing it. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. Melanie from Ohio. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I really enjoy your podcast, and I really did enjoy this episode, The Package, um, the Sun Gen episode. I'm actually surprised that I did. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, one thing just struck me, and um, and it was actually Rock's conversation, excuse me, fake Rock, whatever we're referring to him right now as, and I think his conversation with Claire was very interesting to me. And probably because he said to her he wanted to make sure that she felt needed. Um, I don't think it's really a father-daughter type situation. It almost seemed that way, though. I just have this gut feeling in my gut that Austin, that was seen on the White House, that name did not mean Kate. It actually referred to Aaron. Now, that's, that's just my thoughts. Um, a lot of people would probably question whether or not it would say Shepherd then or Littleton, but if everybody remembers, Aaron Austin is the only legal name he's ever had. So that's just the thought that I had about it. And I, like I said, I can't wait to hear your podcast on Saturday. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for those calls. Well, Michael says that the man in black isn't trying to get all of the candidates on the plane. He's trying to kill all of the candidates. That's a very pessimistic view. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we had the conversation with the man in black saying, I'm going I'm to kill you. And if you have a replacement, I'm going to kill your replacements. Yeah. So we're down to the last possible replacements. Maybe the only way off the island for the man in black is to eliminate all of Jacob's candidates, especially if, in his mind at least, Jacob is already dead. He's succeeded with well, that Well, I mean, the word step. war has been used, so we would expect casualties. Right, and as far as Desmond and Howie Special, we're, we're as confused as you are. Of course, you point out what we failed to mention, which is clearly Desmond is also special in the time travel sense. Right. I mean, in his episodes, he's experienced the closest thing to a flash sideways, and mm-hmm. now the entire series, this entire season is flash sideways, so maybe his solution or his role, yeah, as far as Whitmore is concerned, is, yes, to connect what we're seeing on the island and what's off the island. Certainly, we've been waiting for some kind of intersection there. Right. Uh, Tim from London saying that he didn't like the whole thing about uh, how are we supposed, why are we supposed to believe that, that that's just almost too much, you know, on the nose, too much fan service there. Yeah, I kind of see what he's saying. I, I can sort of see that frustration, but I did like what he pointed out about the music as we were talking about the tomato yeah, scene yeah. being a good um, character moment. Maybe it was because of the music, because the music is a big part of the character of the show yeah, as it well. Is. Melanie from Ohio finally saying, that fake lock kind of seems sort of paternal toward Claire. I, I no. guess maybe that. But you know, it reminds me of. Do you remember the whole ambiguity with Claire's relationship with Locke when he was building the rock? The, oh, the, 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 the cradle. cradle. Yeah. And you know, Charlie thought he was macking on his girl, but it was it was also kind of creepily paternal there too. So there is perhaps some old Locke seeping into unlock once again, maybe in these interactions. But what do you think about the theory that we've heard before that uh, that Austin or the candidate is actually Aaron and not Kate? A lot of 
people think it's all about the kids. I mean, Quan uh, could be Jiyun. Shepard could be Jack's son, David. Or his dad or granddad. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, it's multi-generational. Uh-huh. I think kids could be a big part of it, but I don't see how you bring a kid back onto the, sh- you know, onto the show and onto the island and have it all work out that way. It's just, it, like I said, it's messy. But it's definitely creative thinking. And when they give you that kind of ambiguity, it's, it, you know, where mm-hmm. else are you going to go with that? Next up, calls from John, Blue Dog 1121, and Matt. Ryan and Jen, what's up? John from North Carolina. Holy freaking crap, our favorite Scotsman has returned. Desmond is back. Oh my goodness. Can't believe it. But for the episode overall, I liked it overall as a whole. There were some bits and pieces where I was like, it just felt kind of weird to me. I'm not like a big fan of Jen and Son episodes, but I mean, I like the Jen and Son parts. I mean, I like that that even though they weren't married, they were still together. I liked how they put Kimi in the story, how they explained him in the kitchen from Saeed's episode. Um, Soto's pregnant, and now she's shot. Is she going to die? And what I'm thinking is, if she dies, then they're trying to tell us that Jin is the Quan that they're referring to, like, candidate-wise, and that Sun isn't the candidate. Uh, speaking of Sun, I thought it was really weird how she suddenly could only speak Korean. I don't know if that's connections between the present and the flash sideways that's what i'm thinking regardless desmond's back can't wait for a desmond episode if that's what's coming up i'm not sure um but just glad to have him back and i totally thought side was about to blow up the submarine but anyway love the episode uh it was good for the most part can't wait to hear what y'all think and i'll talk to y'all later Hey, Ryan and jen it's blue dog 1121 in california i'm um, calling to leave a quick message about the package. Um, I really liked this episode. I thought it was great. Um, a great character episode. I know not tons happened off island. Uh, well, I mean, a lot happened, but nothing really to advance our story, but I liked it. I really liked it. Um, I wanted to mention the, the very brief exchange that Sawyer and Kate had at the very beginning of the episode about the fake hot cocoa, because it reminded me of the fake um, peanut butter, Charlie's Charlie and Claire's fake peanut butter. It was kind of um, a more bitter and cynical version of Charlie and Claire's fake peanut butter, which um, it's just kind of a a reminder to us that the show, the storyline isn't as sort of innocent and, um, and pure as it used to be and things are going bad and, and, um, Hopefully that is not an indication that Sawyer is going to end up like Charlie, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, Jin looking at Sun's camera was, was, uh, really, well, I, I would, I guess it, it got dusty in the living room. Is that what we say? <laughs> and, um, I think Sun being injured off island and being, um, injured on island are, are really related. Um, I don't know if that means that the, uh, <clears throat> timelines are going to start to bleed over into each other. Um, I also thought it was great that um, Kimi and Omar mentioned Danny because that's got to be Danny Pickett, right? Um, anyway, thanks for everything you guys do. Bye. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Matt Anderson calling from Minnesota. Well, after I saw that uh, the confirmation that Desmond was indeed the package that Woodmore had, uh got me thinking, well, why did he bring Desmond in the first place? I think a common theory, and what I think is probably true, is part of the reason was that he needed Desmond to get back to the island uh, because he had been locked out for 20-plus years, and uh, Desmond, being special, was one of his only ways to get back. 
However, I think there might be more to it. I think he might have more in store for Desmond. Uh, we know that Woodmore is right now looking all over the island for those uh, uh, higher places of energy. The, he has a geophysicist there, so he has some sort of plans. I wonder if he's going to use Desmond's specialness and perhaps push Desmond into this sideways reality. I've been trying to figure out how Lost is going to tie together these two realities, and it seems like Desmond would be that uh, bridge that could uh, could bring these two realities together. So maybe he's going to push Desmond into the sideways reality, but for what purpose? I have no idea. What do you guys think about that? All right. Thanks for a great podcast, guys. You're the best. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Mahalo for those calls. Well, John, our friend, delivering his trademark hey, line, definitely enjoyed at least having Desmond back, but did like the episode. Interestingly, he says there might be a case for Jin being the candidate if something bad happens to Sun, although oh, yeah. obviously we don't want that to be the case. And, of course, Blue Dog 1121 and John saying that Sun not speaking English in the Flash Sideways and suddenly on the island that maybe there's there was a connection there, and I definitely yeah. like that. And finally, Matt kind of going further with what we had suggested that you know Desmond is key because of maybe a connection to the Flash sideways. But right. if Widmore pushes Desmond into the Flash sideways, Desmond, Desmond was already in the Flash sideways on the airplane at least, or maybe he wasn't actually there. I mean, what I'm worried about, if you get these connections or ability to move between the Flash sideways on the island is a whole bunch of clones. I mean, you've got two of everybody running around. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a possibility possibility that makes me a little uncomfortable i guess maybe you can push his consciousness i mean that's what he learned right your consciousness can move back and forth maybe that's what widmore's plan is but uh, i guess we're gonna have to wait to see we move on to calls from shanna michelle and rich hey ryan and janet shana in alaska i had two thoughts that i wanted to tell tell you about uh with this episode first whenever man in black said whatever happens happens he knows exactly what's gonna happen and i i think even though he seems like he's going to let Claire kill Kate. That's not what's going to happen. It's going to be some sort of, you know, everything stops. And I think it's going to go back to his timeline. And then when it goes back to his timeline, eventually it'll get back to our lossy's timeline just in the course of time. But things have changed. And I think somehow this whole, you know, we're, we're debating whether he's evil or not. I think maybe it's going to come down to... If evil is released in the world, there's, so there's more evil, maybe there's more good, too. And maybe that's why uh, the Lossy's timeline seemed to be better. But on that note, that's my second point. I definitely think that what happens in each timeline, there's a lot of similarities. So, uh, unfortunately, I think Sun is going to die from the gunshot wound in the alternate timeline. And I think she's going to die on the island as well. So, that's my theory. Love to hear you guys on Sunday. Bye. Hey, Jen and Ryan. It's Michelle from Oxford, Illinois. I know one of the things that's been driving us crazy is we don't have a name for Man in Black. And he said in last week's episode that his body and his humanity had been taken from him. And that's what you do when you take someone's name away from them. You dehumanize them. You make them a thing, not a person. It's not as as of value as uh, they are that you would uh, have the respect to use their name. Um, and uh, with Desmond being the package that was on the, the submarine last night, um, we really believe that he is somehow related or in the family line uh, to Jacob, um, maybe through Eloise, and that 
he is going to be the one who says the magic name. The name, when you give back man in black, his name, when you give him back his humanity, you can then contain him or destroy him or whatever it is that they're going to need to do in order to prevent him from leaving the island and spreading this darkness. Um, so I think that, uh, in a sense, he's going to be the one to say Rumpel Stiltskin, and uh, that's what's going to make, make the biggest difference. That's why he is such a valuable weapon, because somehow, somehow he knows um, or will be able to find out the answer to that question, and uh, we'll put it into words. So that's my crazy theory. Talk to you later. Bye. Ozawa-san, this is Rich in Cleveland checking in. You know that I've always been a loyalist, to quote Mikhail. And how mind-blowing was it when he reappeared and got shot through the eye with all the subsequent timeline implications? Anyway, it's all happening. You can't have a masterpiece without a great denouement. And Lost is certainly delivering. Lost is all about deliverance. And latest, the package. In the package, everything seems to come around again in its own divergent fashion. Sun unbuttons the buttons and has another illicit romance, except with Jin this time. Jin struggles to break free from his bonds, just as Boone did in Hearts and Minds. Sun has aphasia and now must play the Nick Andros part instead of Jin or Locke in previous incarnations. Desmond is drawn back to the island once again in a confused stupor. This episode was absolutely magnificent with the complexity of its interconnections. You, you could do a dissertation on every detail. But it's also critical to keep sight of the big picture. Benita knows. Cool Peace knows. Carol might need some persuading yet. Defend the island. Thanks for those calls, Shannon Alaska, saying, well, first of all, that uh, Claire probably won't be able to get her hands on Kate. I don't know. The stakes are pretty high now, and I think anything could happen. Although I can also see that, you know, maybe he's going to confound Claire once again. I mean, he seems to be messing with her so much, it would almost be right down to his character to to yank that rug out from under her maybe. one more time. But uh, she says that, that, that basically it's the reset of the timeline and everything is different this the second time around. But what do you think about the prediction that Sun is not long for this world or either world? I hope she finds Jin before she dies. On the island, at least. Actually, I was surprised that they didn't, you know, get back together in this episode. So was I. Uh, Again, because it's being drawn out so much, it's getting ridiculous. Many people are pointing that out. It's the new Walt. Let's get it over (laughs) with. And so it's bad enough if they push it off much further, but if it doesn't actually happen, that would be absolutely cruel. Now, Michelle in Rockford, Illinois, says that, hey, maybe the man in black's name is the way you get control of him or get a handle on him that like it's a Voldemort whole, well Voldemort's name was uh, was powerful and saying it was a bad thing it uh-huh. sounds like maybe in this case or the way she predicts is that once he gets his name back he becomes you know he becomes something that you can right, deal with right. I definitely kind of like that theory the Rumpelstiltskin theory of the man in black why, why not I mean since we don't know his <laughs> name and Rich in Cleveland uh, always one of our more prolific uh, creative colorful articulate commenters on our blog one of many of course uh-huh. great theories great observations 
here at least saying that what we do, what we did as well, we love the mirroring. We love the repeating themes, cycles, events, uh, scenes. All of the stuff is great. It's actually and indeed seems to be reaching a crescendo in this last season. But he says Nick Andros, or, you know, son is the new Nick mm-hmm. Andros. Who's Nick Andros? He's a character in The Stand. He's a deaf mute character in, in The Stand. So. And I like that he's, you know, mentioning yet again another parallel to The Stand. Right. That's also definitely something that we've enjoyed talking about on this oh, podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for the calls. It was a pretty quiet week on the Lost Line. Um, we did also hear from Nancy from Sausalito. Uh, she vandal- valiantly tried to untangle the two timelines. And a fun call from Jackie and David from Brooklyn riffing on the preview for next week's episode. Thanks for those. But let's get to a few of the comments from the blog and email. Marielle Sawyer says, Great episode. The train is picking up steam and the end game is set in motion. I still don't know what to make of the flash sideways, but I am sure I'll slap my forehead in amazement when the finale comes. Room 23, electromagnetism, sonic fences. I have made my peace with the fact that the outcome of the show will be more fantasy oriented, but I welcome those like a breath of fresh air. I have always been one to say more Widmore and I loved his scene with Locke on the beach. Great episode, love the pacing and I am liking the direction it is going. Meanwhile, Dizwiz wrote, worst episode ever. Okay, not worse than Stranger in a Strange Land, but in season six, there is no room for mediocre or cheesy English amnesia. This episode could have been five minutes long with the big reveal at the end. Ben's story had redemption. Jack got over his daddy issues. Saeed's flash sideways even had a direct correlation to the on-island story, but this had nothing important. The Sun-Jin separation has become a joke at this point, and I am sick of it. If we have to wait until the series finale for these two to see each other again, it will seriously taint the experience. They let both Sun and Jin's stories die off in season 5, so it's hard to get back involved with them. I actually wish they had a reunion last year and got off the island. It just seems like they ran out of stories for them. No, and well, I disagree. I disagree that worst episode ever, certainly. I mean, yes, we've, we've said Sun and Jin better get back together in the next week or so, but I think there were lots of reveals. I think there were lots of yeah, answers, and the science stuff is one of the things that I'm thinking a lot of people should be happy to see returning. Joe and Jen in Michigan write, have you noticed that no one will take Unlock's hand. They seem to know that he is not the person to trust. A few episodes ago, Kate wouldn't take it when he held his hand out, and last night, Sun wouldn't take it when Unlock held his hand out to her. I wonder if he needs someone to take his hand freely. Unlock keeps telling everyone that he is not going to make them do anything that they don't want to do, and then he flashes that creepy smile. Well, definitely. I mean, obviously, choice and free will is a big part of what he's doing. You know, you need to choose to do this. I can't make you do anything. So that's been explicitly stated but yeah the imagery of that outstretched hand has been very significant mm-hmm. and I think it's important that Sun actually takes Jack's hand in this episode for example so it, there is a there is a following there is a choice to go with somebody but you're right uh, Locke hasn't had actually has anyone freely chosen to go with Locke Sawyer says that he is but it's just part of a scheme for himself yeah. you know Saeed is just a dark creature he doesn't know why he's there I, I guess Claire chose to be with him but through deception up until this point you know yeah. her friend so I don't know I don't know maybe nobody has actually chosen to go along with unlock Lucy dog writes I really like this episode it was great to see the passive son just lose her cool again and it was wonderful to be reminded in the island world and the sideways world of the sun Jin romance finally even in the sideways world things happen as if they were supposed to happen Mikhail ended up dead and without an eye I'm reminded of Charlie yelling at Jack in the sideways world after Jack saved Charlie's life that I'm supposed to be dead because 
because, alas, in the island world, Charlie did die. This, of course, spells potential doom for Sun in the island world as she's the first Lostie to be hurt in the sideways world. Yeah, good point. Well, someone else, a lot of people seem to be predicting an end for Sun. I'm, yeah. not, I'm, not, I'm not that eager to see her go. Nate in Ohio writes, The scene between Jack and Sun were fantastic. They really reminded me of the emotional moments that made season one so special. Two characters connecting and helping each other deal with the ridiculous and traumatic circumstances. Jack's evolution into a hero of our grand story is picking up momentum. However, I fear that the good doc will not survive the end of the series. The man in black needs all six of the remaining candidates on his side in order to leave the island. It is my belief that Jack will sacrifice himself so that others may survive and leave the island well, so first son's not going to make it now jack's not going to make it what do you think i mean i i it's fascinating that jack wasn't supposed to survive the pilot and right. now he's obviously central to the show i would agree with nate that i love his redemption he's now an interesting leader character and i i remember last season we were so much so pretty much done with jack so definitely kudos to the writers for accomplishing that what they have um and i suppose it makes sense that if jack says if you need everybody to get there then i'm just going to put pull myself out of the equation that sounds like like a Jack thing to do. Crystal in Raleigh writes, nothing is going to top last week's episode featuring Richard Alpert. That said, this one definitely had many HFC moments. <laughs> and if you paid close attention, you got answers. I think we were shown Jin Kwan is the candidate based on the things he and Sun said on the island. Sun's attitude was a lot like Saeed's worldview of being out for herself. Widmore is clearly on Team Jacob and has a plan. The one-liners were just awesome tonight. Good episode, intense. So do you think that Jin is the candidate because Sun was uh, more independence-minded on the island? I know. Sun, to me, I, I'm still of the opinion it's Sun. Okay. All right. Aaron from Connecticut writes, I felt like the scene transition right after Sun hit her head on the tree was intentional. Maybe it's a nod toward the two realities starting to bleed into each other. But what if the sideways reality can bleed into the island world too? It does seem like ever since Jack has had his redemptive moment with his son in the sideways world, he appears to be more focused and centered in the island world. Like he's resolved some issue within himself and has returned to be the strong leader that Jack was in season one. Well, that's an interesting way of putting it. I mean, yes, we've just noted on the transformation of Jack's character to being more grounded and more leader and more heroic, but is it because he was his story was resolved, his daddy issues were resolved off the island? No, I can I can see bleed through between both worlds because just as we see Saeed choosing to be a, a killer instead of protecting Nadia right, and, right. and his brother, he chooses to kill and also he, you know, he, that's the same episode in which he drowns in the pool in the temple. Right. So maybe by becoming a killer off the island, his soul dies on the island. I can sort of see that. Yeah. I just like how more and more we're looking at what we thought were flashbacks, flash forwards, and jumping between stories that maybe have parallels. And we're now starting to pull out and read into it, you know, tangible, actual connections between these two worlds. Isaac from Orlando writes, why didn't Sun and Jin get reunited in this episode? Are they ever going to get reunited or do we have to hear more? I need to find my husband. It was an okay episode for me, but other than seeing Desmond at the end, it didn't really reveal anything. But seeing Mikhail get shot in the eye kind of made me think. Is that why Mikhail wears the eye patch in the previous seasons? And is that how these two timelines are connected? The alternate timeline happens before the current timeline, maybe? I don't think he survived that gunshot. I really don't. Right. Well, yeah, I'm not sure if... 
I th- again, I just thought it was a poetic moment. I'm, I'm trying to see a possibility that that's sort of a, a cycle and because of how that ends for him, that he turns up on the island and the condition that he's in. I mean, on the island, he does speak of Jacob as a great man that brought him there. Maybe he got a Dogen-like choice to live, but, you know, on the island with this job at the flame or I don't know. But but for the most part, I, I don't think I'm willing to say that that's actually what happened. Cool Peace writes, these episodes are racing by. I am really enjoying this season. I am not used to seeing Widmore is a nice man, but perhaps what he did to deserve the banishment, fall in love with an outsider and have a child with her, is just a matter of the heart wants what the heart wants. Hmm. Maybe to get back to the island, he had to sacrifice his relationship with Penny. Widmore also says that if the man in black got off the island, then all those we love will cease to be. That is intriguing as he was speaking to Jin about his child and about Penny. Is it just about the children? Well, that's that's true. The conversation was about their kids. Yeah. I mean, I we, again when he says cease to be, I was sort of fixated on that, and I, but it did sound like he was talking about everybody in the world rather than just the kids. But maybe the maybe the birth of you know Aaron, the birth of Gian, the birth of Charlie, you know, these are all things that were that are actually very important to the overall mythology. I can certainly see that as well. Widmore, the heart wants what the heart wants. I mean, I think that that's a fair you know thought that you know Widmore, despite having always been portrayed as the bad guy against Ben yeah. might not actually be that bad a guy. Jennifer writes, I think the same properties on the island that give it its healing powers are also the same that would destroy humanity if released. Last week, Man in Black said Jacob took his body and humanity. Man in Black only still exists by harnessing these electromagnetic properties. Jacob realizes the harm they would do if released and therefore must keep Man in Black on the island. Widmore's team is going to try and neutralize the magnetic pockets, thus destroying the Man in Black. Yeah, good call. So you think that Man in Black magnetic properties one and the same that when you take someone's body that maybe they just get picked up and become part of this energy on the island somehow? i don't know i always thought that Smokey had a very metallic sound right he's and you know when people are talking about how he can't fly over water and, all, and a lot of his other limitations and you have the sound that sounds like a, a roller coaster mm-hmm. that people say that maybe you know it's he's, he's tied to the ground that he's being you know moved from beneath the ground and 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 again it might just be there's something very geophysical about the man yeah. in black and what's going on so i kind of like that why not have them be the same thing. Carol from Boston writes, do the electromagnetism hotspots neutralize Smokey? Are they the place to lure him? Are they spots to time travel? Remember the cabin? Smokey doesn't like electricity, so something is up with Smokey and energy. Though when the man in black is Smokey and he flashes, he looks like he has electricity in him. Maybe too much electricity or magnetism will make Smokey overcharge and destroy himself or work up enough energy to cause the flash sideways? Well, actually, so this is the other theory, which is that he's sort of the, he doesn't like the magnetism on the island. And yeah. and I forgot, we've, we have talked about the fact that the man in black or the person in the cabin seemed to react badly to the flashlight. Right. and have a problem with technology and energy. So maybe maybe these pockets of electromagnetism are actually the antithesis of the man in black. In fact, maybe they're the energy keeping him there or yeah. you know something that can destroy him. So I definitely like that angle as well, absolutely. Scott B. in D.C. writes, Sun cut her hand in the garden before unlocks showed up. I think the cut makes her more susceptible to unlocks influence, or at least it makes it easier for him to scan her for weaknesses and ways to manipulate. The inability to get her point across 
cross would make her feel alienated, and that's one of Man in Black's go-to tools for turning someone to his side. And remember way back when Boone's leg was cut open? Next thing you know, he's seeing Shannon's dead and mangled body, perhaps another Smokey-influenced vision. Well, you know, the first time we see Locke, he's got that giant jagged scar running from his forehead to his cheek. Right. And again, we've we've talked about the other injuries, Sawyer stepping on something and, Mm -hmm. you know, what an open wound might mean to infection or being susceptible. But I kind of like the way that he had put it, that maybe taking away her language was part of the way to, you know, make make tough times tough for her. Yeah. But, But fortunately, I hope if that's the case, Jack sort of neutralized that weapon by giving her the notepad right. to write on. But definitely a great thought. Jen in Wisconsin asks a quick question. What if Sun losing her ability to speak English is a setup for her to frantically write a message much like Charlie did in Through the Looking Glass? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're setting up for mirroring and dramatic scenes. Maybe she has to say something very important, maybe like not Penny's boat with her notepad. (laughs) Ben MC writes, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but everything we are seeing is a battle between good and bad vampires. (laughs) Just hear me out for a second. Jacob has to invite you to enter the statue. Jacob's one power seems to be granting eternal life. Saeed, Richard, and Ben are all asked to kill Jacob with a silver dagger. The sickness appears to leave people somewhat soulless, and it's said that vampires can't cross over running water and have transformative properties as well when they see the reflections in the mirrors and the flash sideways are all their strange expressions because they cannot see their own reflections <laughs> there are some major inconsistencies with this theory but what if hey you know if we're going to be talking about zombies then why not talk about vampires i, I definitely guess. like those parallels and i like that folks still have a sense of humor about this show sophie writes somebody in your last podcast mentioned the possibility of jacob and the man in black being siblings well, the dagger that the man in black gives to Richard and that Dogen later gives to Saeed has the design of Romulus and Remus suckling from the mother wolf. Romulus and Remus were the twin founders of Rome, but they couldn't agree on where to build the city, and while arguing, Remus was killed. I feel like they wouldn't use such an icon without there being some significance. This definitely isn't the first time we've seen indications of ancient mythology, and the story of Romulus and Remus is tied to the Roman gods. In either case, I feel like the origin or history of the dagger might be important for the history of those two. I didn't even know that. Right. And and actually, Sophie says that she owns the, the same dagger. Like wherever the lost people got that prop, she has one as well. So I, I definitely hold, hold on to that. But hey, yeah, twins and Roman gods, I can certainly see that. I definitely feel some sort of sibling rivalry more so than a father-son rivalry between the man in black and Jacob. Yeah. Ricky writes, I think people have it so wrong that Man in Black is the evil trying to escape the island. Jacob doesn't say this, and to me, the speech he gives Richard doesn't even hint at this. I believe the evil he is talking about is an even greater force, a dark, sinister, maybe even electromagnetic or seismic force that the island is keeping at bay. The Man in Black's leaving allows the true evil to escape. I believe the Man in Black was originally, and in a way still is, a protector of the island. The way I see it, when Jacob was assigned as lighthouse keeper of the island, the man in black was assigned as the security system. I feel that he was asked by Jacob himself to take the role, and perhaps at first the man in black willingly accepted the role. As he said, Jacob can be very convincing. 
But as years or centuries rolled by, he grew weary of that world and asked to leave, only to discover that he and Jacob were bound to the assignment and island together. Thus, he feels betrayed and like a prisoner. I feel this theory helps to explain a few peculiarities in the smoke monster's behavior through the years. Now that we have found out that it is actually a sentient, not if not extremely intelligent being. Most notably, when called by Ben to fight Widmore's mercenaries, the smoke monster was called to action like an attack dog. Whatever Ben did to call the monster, it was still bound by the rules of the Man in Black's original assignment, and he had to respond almost like a genie who hates his master but must still grant him wishes. Well, I definitely think that, you know, the Man in Black himself is not necessarily the evil that needs to be contained, that yes, his leaving the island is... is big and cataclysmic, but why not this theory that they actually were both maybe a pair of guardians of the island, right. but the man in black basically just got sick of it before his brother did. I mean, I think that definitely works. Well, kind of like Kelvin Inman, he wanted out of the hatch. That's true. But he was stuck there until whoever replaced him came along. And again, we're talking about, you know, mirrors and cycles, finding replacements for fulfilling a role or wanting to escape, you know, getting out of a cycle has certainly been something that's been key on this show. I especially, though, like what Ricky is saying about explaining... His theory explains what one of our callers, anonymous callers, had asked about, which is, wait a minute, if the smoke monster is, you know, against Widmore, then why did it get released from, you know, beneath the Dharma barracks right. and attack Widmore's men like a monster? And my my initial theory about that scene is that when the smoke monster is in smoke mode, that it doesn't maybe have full control of itself. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's 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 like the Hulk in rage. But another way to look at it is like this: is that despite the fact that it is a smart creature in there that it needs to fulfill certain obligations and protecting the island is still one of the tantamount ones so thanks a lot for that ricky james writes with a letter dear lost your incessant teasing and lack of forward movement has made me question how the show is heading into the final episodes please no more fooling around just give us something straightforward you regain some of my trust with richard's episode but i'm hoping you will deliver something more substantial no more light-hearted conversations between characters no more over-the-top action sequences i just want answers the whole show is about the characters and lighter moments and cheesy action unfortunately it's not something they've ever been able to do well but if you're looking just for answers this might not be the show for you well no i I wouldn't say that but i I find it fascinating for example that james says that you know you redeemed yourself with the richard episode a lot of people who are waiting for answers hated the richard episode because there was no forward momentum on the island it was all this sort of back epic story biblical references and that drove some people nuts i think it just goes to show that some of the things that some people want that other people want you know you can't make everyone happy so I am confident that the writers are giving us what they want to give us and um, so far I'm very satisfied with the meal that they're serving one more comment hey Kira writes people can disagree with me but I am so happy with the season so far it's like a beautiful piece of classical music with different movements some fast paced and exciting and some slow and emotional so in keeping with the metaphor I cannot wait for the crescendo and culmination of this lost symphony keep the faith people exactly here, and, here. you know and so I think that's what it comes down to distinct movements distinct acts and tones and colors I mean basically I am glad that they didn't do what they seem to do toward the end of a couple of seasons that we've had which is okay we have this far to go we have 36 questions let's do six questions per episode and you know they were hitting it but it was so rushed and so mechanical in some ways mechanical so this what we're seeing is so much more epic and so much more as he's put symphonic uh, and I prefer it that way last week's episode 
episode was such a you know a beautiful uh, uh, tangent, a different journey somewhere else, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm hoping, yes, that in the last six episodes we're moving into, that maybe there's a little more in terms of answers. But if they don't give it to us, I, I've loved what they have given to us. So yeah. no argument there. Well, as always, we enjoyed every thought you shared with us, even though we could only include some of it in this podcast. As of this recording, over 260 comments for this episode on our blog, and we love all of it. Our favorite part of the podcast is you all, everybody. So we really would love for you to join the conversation after the episode on Tuesday. You can post your thoughts on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Drop us an email at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the lost line. Absolutely. I mean, if you've never called, I mean, there aren't many episodes left to have your voice heard here on the podcast. 815-310-0808. Just one or two thoughts, 60 to 90 seconds. It won't hurt. We promise. We don't bite. Nope. But don't forget your name and tell us where you're from. So coming up in about four minutes, the forward cabin. But first, once again, here's a great song from the Others Lost Band. This is their latest track. It's based on last week's Alpert episode, Abby Turno, and the track is called Kill the Devil. Elana Jacob needs your help. There's some people you need to protect. Six remaining candidates. After the temple, ask Richard what to do next. He says, Jack, we're dead. I've known for a long, long time that we're in hell. Jack says, you've lost your mind. On the Canary Islands in 1867, Isabella's coughing up blood. Close your eyes, we'll always be together, she said. I'll bring this cross to the doctor I'll be back before dawn I didn't mean to take his life Said the cross is worthless Couldn't even save my wife You're sailing on the black rock, Richard It's your lucky day If you didn't speak English Tomorrow you'll be hanged You crashed into the statue It's nice to see you at those chains When you're in hell You gotta kill the devil to escape Head due west to the statue Don't hesitate, if Jacob speaks it'll be too late I'm the black smoke, the devil betrayed me Richard, this isn't hell, you're not dead I brought your ship to the island We need to talk, I'll grab the wine You need an invite to come inside the island is a cork that keeps evil where it belongs Jacob needs a representative Richard, do you want the job? If you wanna live forever That's something Jacob can do for you But he can't bring Isabella back Or absolve you Bring this rock to the man in black 
tomorrow you'll be hanged You crashed into the statues Nice to see you out of those chains When you're in hell you gotta kill the devil to escape Hurley talk to Isabella Know why you buried a cross She is standing right beside you Wants you to know it wasn't your fault Said your English is awesome Then she said something else Stop the man in black And we're all going to hell Jacob wants an apology For trying to kill him The man in black just wants to leave The island Your lucky day If you didn't speak English Tomorrow you'd be hanged You crashed into the statue It's nice to see you at those chains When you're in hell You gotta kill the devil to escape When you're in hell You gotta kill the devil and that was The Others Lost Band. They're a great band based in Boston. They write a song based on every new episode of Lost. That track was Kill the Devil based on last week's episode, Ab Eterno. And I really like that one. I do too. I mean, I think the tone matched the episode, that epic story that they told us about Richard Alpert. In any case, if you want to find out more, hear more of their great music, you can even subscribe to their subscription service called Transmissions from The Others. <laughs> Just go to their website, theothers.thethungs.com. And, of course, we'll have a link to them in our show notes on the blog. But now we are in the forward cabin. This is where we look ahead on Lost. If you don't like spoilers, you might want to jump off the plane right now. In any case, let's talk about what's coming up next week on Lost. The 11th episode of Season 6 is titled Happily Ever After. And the synopsis reads, Desmond wakes up to discover he's back on the island. Well, there you go. Yep. Well, obviously, it's a Desmond-centric episode. In fact, there was a lot of great filming updates for this episode coming up. So if you want to go back and hear them, I should let you know that was in our January 17th podcast. I mean, there was the fundraiser at Bishop Museum that you got to check out. So that was kind of cool. And uh, they had the airport courthouse downtown. There was a car stunt there. Uh, they were by UH. There was an even bigger car stunt, though, at uh, the Waikiki Marina. So I had put some video up on YouTube. It'll be great to see those scenes on TV. But... That's this week. What they're doing right now is filming the finale here on the island. So this week's filming reports. It was a very short week, though, of course, as they took Friday off for Good Friday, as well as today for the Easter weekend. In fact, a couple of cast members turned up at Hare at Manoa Valley Theater cool. today. So at least they're enjoying some local culture. And while I can tell you where they were this week, the question of who was there is getting more and more hard to figure out because they're getting better at hiding mm. from fans. In any case, let's start on the 29th of March. I can only tell you, thanks to Chris, that they were filming at Police Beach and that the scene involved Evangeline Lilly. Mm -hmm. Not just her, there were probably other people, but that was the only person that was sticking out enough to be noticed. The next day, the 30th, they were at Judd Trail, that's uh, their popular jungle shoot there mm -hmm. in Nu'uanu, and uh, Jeff spotted them there, but spotted absolutely nobody. Who does know? 
Wow, more jungle scenes. The 31st of March, they were at Portlock in East Honolulu. This is the very swanky neighborhood before Hanauma Bay. Of course, this uh, neighborhood overlooks what's called China Walls. These are the cliffs, the ocean cliffs, very striking Mm -hmm. ocean cliffs that they've used for several scenes in Lost. Of course, trekking across the island scenes, but perhaps more notably, this is about where they filmed um, the cave that, uh, that the man in black took oh, Sawyer to. Yeah. We cannot say, though, that that's actually where they were, just that they were in the neighborhood. And uh, we thank David for his report. Uh, there was Sawyer and Locke and Kate moving to the set, but they were not able to observe the actual filming. But in any case, they were in the hood. They were also off Nimitz Highway near Hickam Air Force Base. This is actually on Elliott Street, right sort of the the side access road to the airport and uh, they had very good security there my friend Mitchell our friend Mitchell actually spotted hey, them and Mitchell. pointed it out Wanda also went down to point it to, to, to check it out but apart from the food tents and the trailers and people moving around it just looked like they were filming at the airport and that might not be much but mm-hmm. that's what we've got on April Fool's Day our date anniversary. they were again back at Portlock there in East Honolulu and they were definitely filming on the sea cliffs there near China walls and again Locke was there and Jack as well this time and I want to thank Mary for her report they were also back near the airport uh, again off Elliott Street lots of movement but nobody anybody recognized except possibly Ken Leung or Miles um, presumably flash sideways stuff but interesting because we haven't seen him for a while and uh, thanks to Kat and Leanne for checking that out we also heard from Chris that they were working deep in Hakipu'u Valley this is out past Waikane near Kualoa. Um, this is around the stream. They filmed several stream shoots there. But of course, the whole point of using this location and other locations out at Kualoa Ranch is keeping out of sight of nosy fans. So apparently even taking the tour out there, the great uh, Cause Hummer tours, yeah. don't actually get you very close to the action. But that's where they've been busy later in the later half of this week. So that's what we got this week. I mean, as we basically move into the last couple of weeks, of filming of Lost, tidbits are going to get very, very scarce. Actually, I'm surprised they're filming anywhere off the film studio lot this late in the game. I was sure that, you know, the last two months of filming was going to be in the sound stage where nobody can see anything. So it's great that they're out on location, but they're being very, very careful. You know, I've enjoyed reporting on what filming I and other fans have been able to see, but pretty much that's going to be coming to an end soon. Now, no doubt stuff will continue to leak out elsewhere, mostly from the production side but that's certainly not what we do so as far as the forward cabin is concerned unfortunately it won't be long before we draw the curtain for the last time but it's been fun yeah and yeah jen is certainly not going to be sad to see the spoilers go but with the filming reports out of the way that means that's it for this episode of the transmission this show is powered by you all everybody so please be sure to join the conversation on the blog on tuesday night there are so many great people with so many great theories and we'd love you to add your thoughts. Alternately, you could send us an email or call the Lost Line. Absolutely. Now, as always, we appreciate the really great reviews of our podcast on iTunes. It helps bring new people to the transmission. So we'd like to thank the latest batch, T-Belk5, Coyote93, M-Crossing586, Zombie Killer 666 <laughs> T-Lane2004, CC Loves Coco, 
Johnny Fancy Hat, Miss Pence, Avatar Ang, Megziup, Jen Prill, and Isaac Esco. Mahalo, everybody. Now, we're also always available for some talk story, even non-lost talk. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii. And I'm at Mrs. Hawaii. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go play with my iPad now. Stay lost, everybody. (laughs) Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost Podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.